Welcome to the Change Africa podcast. My name is Isaac Kujurini Yaboa and I'm having my co-host Daniel Merkel with us. And today we have another great episode coming up with Blessing Abeng, who is an inspirational brands and communications consultant. And she'll be sharing with us her journey, her knowledge, and inspire the next generation of brand communication designers, technologists, and influencers in what she has been doing over the last few years. So please, um, if you are in your room, give a huge round of applause to our guests for the Change Africa podcast, Blessing Abby. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was such an amazing introduction. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, so you have had a very interesting journey you're obviously building one of the um if not biggest one of the most inspiring organizations when it comes to technology development especially for young people and women and you actually also co-founded a startup that was acquired and that word acquired in if you are not someone in the technology space you don't know what that means but it really means that someone bought another person's company and that acquired word is very rare especially in the african startup scene because there's not a lot of people that have had the opportunity to build things that have been acquired and not none other by one of the biggest companies on the continent which is flutter wave um how did this journey start if you were supposed to reflect you know let's say 10 years ago (laughs) how do you think that this really all started oh my god that's a decade <laughs> and I would try to see how you know to sum this up but every time I've had to share the story I always take it back to growing up as a Nigerian girl in my father's house with a mother who was consistently bashed by other women you know constantly telling her oh my god when are you going to have a real child you don't have one because you only have girls and you don't have any boys um, and I really appreciate my mom and my dad for consistently not letting that define how they raised us. They didn't say, oh my God, I feel so bad that I don't have boys. So I'm going to treat the girls that I have in bad ways. Never. Instead, they consistently inspired us. Every time, you know, they would get any negative experience outside or reflect on their negative experience, they'll come back home and instill positive words into our heads like, you are limitless. Nothing's going to limit you. Your gender will not limit you. You are as good as boys. You are as good as like you are a human being who can do anything that you set your mind to do. So they never, um, defined me in a certain way. And that's upbringing made me feel like I could do and be anything that I wanted to be if I put my mind to it. And that was so pivotal, I think, for the growth of my sister and I. I even hear us have conversations now and I, we never speak like there's something that's limiting. So earlier on in my life, I wanted to be a doctor because someone saved my dad's life when he had a serious, you know, medical encounter. And so I, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be a doctor. And, um, I was obviously ready for it, going to be a science student and everything. Great at math, by the way, represented my school in math competitions, science competitions. But I was also really good at art. I loved literature. Um, you'd see me take courses, you know, be part of events and stuff, represent my school in essay competition, play competition, dancing competition. It was really cool. And so I like this is just to really reemphasize that I never felt like there was anything else that I couldn't do. I even I remember one time I, I cramped the whole God was it gods are not to blame, like my parts in gods are not to play, blame. And I was really good at it. Like it was really great. Um so imagine my surprise when I become the only science student to take art courses and I'm well on my way to becoming a doctor and stuff. 
taking a pre-medical course, biochemistry in Covenant University. And I went on IT in my third year and realized, oh my God, this is pretty monotonous. Um, scale of impact is not really there. And will I be able to deal with losing a patient? <laughs> and so these different realities hit me at the same time. And I said, maybe there's another way to save lives, you know, like maybe I don't have to be a doctor to save lives. And I started to explore what are other ways that I can go about this. I joined a club. I, in that club, we were given a, it was a public speaking club, I think. And we were given an assignment to write, I think, proposals and business plans. And I Googled it, learned it, loved it, started writing so well that people would pay me for it. Everybody loved my marketing plans. And eventually I decided to, a friend of mine said, bless them, this thing you do is branding, look it up. I looked it up. I loved what I saw. And I said, oh my God, I am going to study branding. I studied it became a very integral part of my story because that was when I realized we have such great companies in Africa. We have such great solutions, such great talent, such great innovation in Africa. But a lot of times what we struggle with is telling our story as well as the Americans do. And so how can I be the conduit to help more African businesses tell their stories to the people who need them? And that's where this whole thing started. It was in that journey that I, you know, became the co-director of Startup Guide Lagos with my partner. And that was where we met um, the founder of Disha for the first time. That's where we connected. That's where we became friends and decided, you know, he started Disha and then called me on board and said, Bestin, it's been five months plus. We're not growing as fast as we thought. We definitely need someone with your skills. So I came in as a CMO and immediately I came in, we began to experience 100% month on month growth. Um, it was massive. We built such a strong community that I guess Flutterway really identified with and eventually acquired. It was such a painful, heartbreaking time for the community because they kept, I mean, it was, it was the most beautiful thing I feel like I did then, right? Because the community felt so connected to the product. They didn't just feel like it was a product. They felt like it was home. And how they spoke about it, it just really warmed my heart. And, you know, moving from that to co-founding Ingressive for Good was also such a great thing because now I'm leading another community of 200,000 plus people across over 100 countries. And it's so inspiring. So I guess if I must summarize it, that's the summary. Um, but I'm sure that you would have more questions somewhere in between that summary. Yes, definitely, definitely. What I am interested in, knowing is this kind of tandem between um, most people miraculously or mistakenly if you want to put it that way finding a habit a passion that they are interested in that swayed off from the original intention and how they came to those journeys how would you say what would you say that will be the catalyst for you was it your your ability to experiment or was it your just general um, enthusiasm for um, exploration or the fact that when you did anything well, you did it with all your strengths, like you have said, or just that you were a multifaceted, multi-talented person who could do anything. And even if you did any other thing than this, you would succeed anyway. What would you say would be that thing that helped you, you know, take that next step into branding that was originally not part of your goals? Okay, so I think I'd summarize that into four things. The first one would be a level of dissatisfaction. Because like I said, during my internship program, I didn't really enjoy biochemistry. Like I, I was doing what I loved. Like, like I wouldn't say I was doing what I loved. Like anything I put my mind to, which is the second thing, anything I put my mind to, I'll be excellent at it. So excellence was not the problem. I am definitely a multifaceted individual who has the capacity to be excellent at anything that I choose to do. But the monotony of the work and just understanding that this is not sustainable at scale, like there's the limit to the number of people you can impact per time. And then um, also just knowing that I wasn't ready for loss because I worked in during my internship, I worked in a place where we was, we would take the viral, like we would take the blood of HIV patients and check their viral load and, you know, just sort of to be sure that they're still in good standing or give them medical advice and things like that just to help them be in better shape and stuff. And at that time, I was even consumed with the idea of finding a cure to HIV because I was like, this thing can be killing people like this. It was, 
I realized how emotional I was during that internship. I, I, I thought I had a stronger heart, but I, <laughs> I didn't. And so that was just sort of a big checkpoint for me. It's like, when you become a neurosurgeon, which is the thing that you're so crazy about, you're going to definitely lose a life, you know, because not, this thing is not completely in your control. You would do the best that you can, but someone might die in your hands. Will you be able to live with that? Would that be like, that was not something that I could honestly answer and say, yes, for sure, of course. And I would go about my life like a normal person. That was not something that I had a positive answer to. And so I wanted to find something else that could still have great impact at scale and will not cost me my joy and happiness. So that's number one. So I've, I've said two things now, which is first, dissatisfaction, second, excellence, and, you know, be multifaceted. But the third thing would be curiosity and experiment, right? I'm a very curious person, consistently experimenting and seeing, oh, this didn't work out. What about this? What about that? And sometimes I'm not really looking for anything in particular. Um, I, I am sure my, my people who have listened to me many times would recognize this quote that I always say by me, that the goal of an experiment is not to be right, but to be, to discover, right? So you're, you're not experimenting because you're trying to be right about something is that you don't know that that thing exists, but by experimenting, you discover new ways that that thing could, you know, exist or new ways that you never really thought about before, new perspectives you never really explored. And that's something that I found myself doing a lot, which led to the story of me exploring by joining a public speaking club and then going ahead to try out, you know, a, a, a business plan that I had never written before and then doing all of my research and just putting my brain into it. And guess what? I became so good at it. People started paying me money for it. And then the last thing would be community. I didn't come to thinking about community and sharing, right? Cause I didn't come to thinking about, um, branding on my own. Someone who had experienced my work writing business plans and seeing how people responded to my marketing parts of my business plans just sort of felt, oh my God, this is really great. What about branding? Do you want to think about branding? And if I didn't have a community and if I wasn't sharing my work, that wasn't going to happen. So stumbling on that, exploring what branding meant, digging deeper. And this was a time branding wasn't popular. Communications wasn't that, like communications was there, but branding wasn't popular. Marketing was a thing, but branding wasn't popular. And so digging deeper and exploring, oh my God, is this something that I want to do? Going to a school to learn it for almost a year, all of that process, I think, led me here. And so those would be the key four things that I would highlight as the ladders that brought me to this moment. That's very inspirational. You seem to be that kind of person that naturally tends to start things or tend to, if I should put you in a kind of uh, representation of what I think that you fit from what I see from the outside, you seem to be the sort of a manager or a creator of a sort because my question is, while a lot of people perhaps learned branding, you know, had the initiative, you went out to start a company as young as I think 20 or, or so. What was it that said that I should build my company then maybe go and join some other people, go and work for another organization? What was it that said I was good enough and what that, you know, framed of mindset sets you out to be a founder? So I guess my question really is that what is that kind of mentality of a founder mindset? Where does that come from? And what was it that t- gave you the in- initiative and incentive to want to start the thing by yourself than say, I'm young, so maybe I should go to the path of what many people do, um, join a, a small company or something like that. That's such an insightful question, actually. And now that I think about it, I've noticed that there's a pattern that I have, which is it's really important for me to learn rules so I can identify my rules, right? So I would understand which rules do I want to intentionally break and which ones do I agree with that I want to intentionally keep. Um, and this was really important to me because when I finished school and on the path to learning branding, I had broken my father's heart in the sense that we had had a plan since I was a kid that I was going to be a doctor. He had bought me stethoscopes bought me lab coats like I was I I would go around the neighborhood telling everyone that don't call me blessing 
call me Dr. Blessing. So that was not a, <laughs> so the day that I woke up one morning and said I wasn't going to be a doctor anymore, that was going to be heartbreaking for my father. But what was even more heartbreaking was that I didn't just stop there. I also said I was moving out of the house, which is crazy. Um, or at least which was crazy many years ago, um, in a Nigerian home. Yes, my parents felt I could do whatever I wanted, but there's still a thing when a daughter is living in her father's house. You know, that's not necessarily the first thing they think about. So me telling my parents that I was moving out was going to be a difficult conversation. Surprisingly, my father wasn't overly opposed to it because we had a conversation and I clearly stated, give me two years. He wasn't okay with it, but he wasn't 100% opposed because I had, I had a plan. I definitely got a job first. During the period where I was learning branding, I wasn't going to just be in school. I needed to be sustaining myself and it wasn't going to be happening in the same city where I lived. So I needed to convince my dad that I got this, you know. So I ensured that I secured a job in Lagos first before going to my father to tell him, hello, dad, I am moving, you know. And so telling him that I had told him now I have a job. I've been able to make a down payment for my school fees. In fact, I've paid my school fees. And all of this I did without asking for a dime from my parents because I'd been saving all year long during the last year of my university. I even wrote a book, which was where I made my first million, right, in school. And so I did all of this and I paid for my education for branding. And I told my dad, I'm going to school, but I've also gotten a job to sustain me while I'm in school. And, you know, these are the perks that this job is going to give me. But it's not about the job. It's about the school. And I want to learn branding. But if it doesn't work out, just give me two years. If it doesn't work out, I'll come back and do medicine. I should also spotlight that this was a time when I was being offered a job in two different places um, that were going to pay me in the medical, one in the medical field, one outside of the medical field. They were going to pay me almost five times the salary that I was going to accept in this startup job that I had, <laughs> that I'd chosen to do in a different city. So it really didn't make sense to be leaving my father's house, but I really wanted to, I persevered. And so when I did, um, and I, I moved to, to, to Lagos and tried to, you know, learn in this new school while also working and implementing the things that I was learning in this startup, I was very clear about working in that startup for just a couple of, like for a year and then moving to work in an agency so I could learn even more. So I didn't just finish from school and go straight into starting my business, but I went through like working in a startup and then working in an agency. And while I was working in an agency, I saw how global companies had the budgets, like the money to spend on their marketing, on their comms, on their brand. But I could also see startups that were struggling, startups that couldn't afford that amount of money, but they desperately needed to tell their story too. And there was no way that I could convince the company that I was working for that, you know, start collecting startup money because the startup money is not going to sustain their business. It's not going to pay salaries. It's not like it didn't make business sense. So I tried to create mini packages, more affordable options for startups. And that was really what inspired me to create my own company. It wasn't even about proving any point or trying to be anything. I just wanted to be there for startups in a way that was affordable, but only startups that cared enough, right? And and I also dedicated good time to teaching startups how to care about their brand, the communication and stuff. I also gave back as well, which was the period where I was co-director again of Startup Grind Lagos, which I did for almost four or five years of my life. So the ecosystem was really important to me. And by now you should be able to tell that Africa is important to me. So making sure that African businesses succeed became something that I held in high esteem as one of my important life missions. Um, and so when I changed my interpretation of what it meant to save lives, I realized that businesses were saving lives. In fact, every single one of us who work for a business or contract 
or do something for a business, we're contributing our quota to keep that business alive. And if that business is alive, it means that the employees get to have means of livelihood and sustain their own family. So in many ways, we're keeping dreams alive. We're keeping businesses alive, but we're also keeping people alive. And that, that was such a mind shifting discovery for me. Um, and I guess that's it in summary. And I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, that was really what led me to starting my business at such a young age. I had experimented with working in big organizations, but it wasn't directly having impact directly to the startups. It was just feeding the bigger people who could afford it. And I wanted to change that. So you found a niche that you thought yeah, you could sell better using the skills. Um, what was, if you recall, what was the first experience like of like working with your first big company, if you can recall that experience? And what was that transition from, you know, all that you learned and applying it to this company that depended on you for their growth, for their storytelling? If you can recall, like, I want you to know how that story um, actually panned out, if, if you can recall it. <laughs> um, so I worked for, so while working as an agency, you don't work for just one big company, right? So you would be on a couple of brands, like you would be told these are your, these are now your babies. These are now your three brands or two brands that you're hundred percent responsible for. Um, and one of the things I had learned, one of my biggest encounters, I was too, what's the nicest way to put this without making myself look bad? I was too experimental for big companies at in my like in my first couple of months right i then i was young so i didn't know how to determine what rules i am breaking or communicate why i'm breaking those rules i was too experimental but if you know anything about big companies it's like there's always due process and those processes exist for a reason right but then experiencing a company say this is the brief this is what we want you to do and this is what's most important to us versus them also being very, very cautious and being, you know, held back because they don't want to offend. It's really a tricky place to be. At the time, I didn't understand this because I'm like, if you want to, if, you, if this is what you want to do, why not just do this? Right. Um, which is a learning point now that I am sharing with everyone. I just didn't understand. It's like, if you want, if you want this, if you want this result, this is the way to get that result. But then there were consequences of those results gotten that way. And these were not unethical practices. It's just that these things with bigger companies, they have so much more to lose. I was at, I was recently at an event where, um, it the event was supposed to happen. In fact, people had already arrived, but then news about the, this is very recent now, the news about the Queen's death came up. And it was somewhere in London and the news about the, the Queen's death came up and they had to cancel that event because if that company had continued with the, you know, events just the way that they had planned it, which was going to be like a mini party, but networking thing, it would have been misinterpreted by the media that they were celebrating the Queen's death. So just like on a normal day, my young self would probably not have understood the link because I was new. But now I understand how the stakes could be higher. So that was one of the biggest challenges I faced at the time. But it was exhilarating. It was so great. It was such a great experience to have such big budgets, to be able to meet such great people, to be able to meet people that you only heard about on TV and connect with them and build honest relationships. Those were really important, you know, moments. They also shaped my thinking, helped me see how big organizations thoughts helped me learn about structure it was such a great building point for my career now transitioning to working for smaller companies smaller companies to most times do not have the money to spend on something as like they would say frivolous as branding in fact at that time branding may not be their priority um they would always think about something else but i i'm happy now that based on great work that we did Earlier on in the years, people are now beginning to realize that, you know, branding is a very integral part of your business, is a great part of your communication, and communication is a great part of your business, and these are not things to be taken for granted. Um, so transitioning into that, I learned that when you don't have money, you have to be creative. When you don't have budget, it doesn't mean that what you're trying to achieve is impossible. You just have to find a different way to achieve it. And that tested my creativity 
which thank God I'm very creative. So it was easy to sort of, you know, work with that and achieve really stellar results. Also builds my capacity for organic growth, um, learning how to help businesses gain and, you know, work, get organic growth. Um, one other really interesting thing that I learned during that period was understanding how to communicate with your client, knowing that, yes, you are a professional and you have such great ideas. You have to understand that you can't give your client something that they hate just because you're a professional. You need to learn how to listen and listening to what is said and unsaid. There's a popular quote that I think they said, Ford said, I'm not sure. But it's something around if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. I don't quite agree with that quote because from a very personal point of view, it's not realistic. Like it just tells me that Ford wasn't listening. People may not be able to articulate what they want, but they know what they want. So yes, if you listen to those people, they were saying faster horses because horses were their reality at that time. But what they were really trying to say was, I want to get from point A to point B faster. And so anything that would help me get from point A to point B faster is what I'm going to sign up for. And just understanding that changes your perception and how you even approach your clients, knowing how to ask the right questions, knowing how to ask questions that would get them to articulate what it is that they're trying to say or would get them to unearth what it is that they're feeling. Um, last example, I know I'm talking a lot, but I once had a client who we did something with her and she kept saying no to everything. And I was like, ah, why are you saying no? Um, she couldn't explain why she was saying no, but by asking her questions upon questions upon questions, we were able to litter on earth that she didn't like the particular grain because it reminded her of an old business that she didn't want to, you know, associate with anymore and even more she wanted to put something that was special like she wanted to encompass a feeling of her mother that she really really loved in the business and so when she was suggesting a couple of things it wasn't because she really wanted those things it was because she wanted to add a bit of her mother into the business and that was like by asking her we were now able to find what it was that she was trying to achieve and find more authentic ways to achieve those things so by being able to ask more questions you'll be able to identify what your audience is trying to achieve or what your client is trying to achieve but even better you'll be able to work together to do something innovative if you're truly a professional it shouldn't be one way your thinking shouldn't be one way you should be able to work and partner with your client to make something that you both love it shouldn't be a or Z, it shouldn't be like your way or the highway. And so all of these things were things that I had to learn on the job as a founder. And also knowing that, you know, you can't do everything alone. You always need help knowing how to talk to your team members and get them on board with the vision. And, you know, yeah, finding people who align with what it is that you're trying to achieve as well, who understand what the goal is and and respect the people that you're, you're serving. And those were really like, mind shifting experiences that I took out of my experience going from big companies to smaller companies and then now building big companies. <laughs> yeah. That's um very insightful. I mean I would kind of describe you as a mature change maker. Because when I look at myself, um I would say I had to learn the hard way that for somebody to change something, you need to understand the system first. So in that transition that that you described, I would like to know maybe how now in your capacity as a founder, how do you kind of create the environment for both uh, the necessary structure, but still enable your employees, collaborators to be creative? I don't know if you have any insights on that. I think that I've found like different ways to do this in different settings. But one of the most insightful ways is just putting them through an exercise where they have to put themselves in the shoes of the person, the client that they're serving. When you can help people come from a place of service as opposed to a place of, you know, just authority, it changes the mindset, right? I've always said that leadership is not just about authority, it's also about service. And maybe more African politicians saw their roles as leaders, as servants, not just 
authorities. It would also change how they approach leadership. So I, I often put my team members in spaces where they are leaders, where they are in charge, where they are calling the shots and also dealing with the responsibilities, where they are also connecting with the people who they're serving and understanding them from a place of empathy and a place of love as opposed to a place of you have a problem, let's solve it kind of energy. Like just the right mindset is empathy because if you can't connect with what this person is going through, if you can't connect with this person's problem and how they really feel while going through that problem and you just keep looking at it as, oh, it's a maths problem, let's solve it. What's the formula? You're not going to be able to create a personalized solution for that person or a personalized experience for that person. I've also realized that somehow unconsciously I have been building very community-led businesses um, where it's not just about problem solution, but it's also about community and people finding belonging in a space. Um, and so allowing my team members to be in that space where they can also see the transformation story, be part of the transformation story and know that they made that transformation story happen. That has been really amazing. Um, I've watched so many and, and they see the impact in their own lives as well, which is what is really cool. I also create a space where people can disagree with me. I try not to be the only person who is always talking. I'm always asking for feedback. I want to know, you know, what do you think about this? How did you feel about this? What did this make you, you know, all of those different steps. I want them to be able to give me their own feedback as well. So if there are things that I need to change, I'll change them. If there are things that we both need to change, we'll change them. If the things they need to change, they'll change them. And so leading from that space where I'm open to feedback, they give prop, they, they, they can call me out and say, this is wrong. And we can have a, a good and comfortable disagreement because disagreement is not always a bad thing, right? We can disagree, but whoever then has the superior argument, which is not always me, believe it or not, um, wins and then calls the shots and also takes responsibility for whatever the, 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 the um, outcome of that shot is. That has been really life-changing and I've seen that in my team. I've also seen how people within my team tend to really, really grow and, you know, become even more confident just based on things like that. But that's the transformation story where people are connecting with the people that they're, they're serving and seeing how directly it's impact is impacting their lives. That's also something that gives such a great mind shift. I hope I answered your question. Yes, you definitely did. Yeah. So question I want to ask now is maybe let's do a little more education. People hear about branding and they don't know what it is. People now, as you have helped make it very pop and popular, um, hear about, you know, personal branding, for instance, but they don't know what it is. If you can give us a very short education on branding, what would that be? And if you can segue that into building a personal brand, something that I think you've done excellently well for yourself, what would be the takeaways you give to the audience on how to build a personal brand? Oh my God, this is a very pregnant question. I don't know how I can try to sum this up into such a short time, but don't worry. I have a skill in making complex things sound simple. So I'm going to try. Um, first, I've been in workshops where I would ask questions like, what do you think branding is? And people will tell me things like, you know, your brand is your logo, it's your font, it's your color, it's your, you know, they have all these different um, ways that they describe branding is your product, it's packaging, it's these different things. But the truth is branding is all of those things tied together, working in tandem, right? I like to define branding as who you are consistently as you interact with your target audience. This means who you are is not one thing. Who you are is a limbo be between who I be. Yes, is a limbo between who you used to be versus who you're trying to be. And so you're just somewhere there in the limbo and you're transitioning. It shows you that branding is a journey and not a destination, both for products and for individuals. So knowing that you as an individual, you're not just a man or a woman or any other gender. You're not just a dark skinned person or a light skinned person. You're not just, like, you're not just one thing or the other. It's all of those things coming together that makes you you. I'm not just a wife or a daughter or a, you know, a branding and comms person. That's not all I am. And so if someone wanted to describe me to someone who was looking for me, they wouldn't just say, Oh, I'm looking for blessing, you know, because 
there's so many blessings in the world and you wouldn't say, I'm just looking for blessing a bang. Someone would probably ask which blessing a bang. And so you have to go deeper to explain other features that come together to make me. The reason that you are special is that you're the only one with your whole combination that exists. So being able to identify those different combinations that make you unique, that's the beauty. So when I talk about branding, I say, don't start by thinking, you know, oh, I want to package myself. No, start by realizing where am I right now? What are the things that I like? What are the things that I do not like? What is my personality? And even as a business, that, that's something, if you think about your business as a human being, what is the personality of that human being? You know, um, a lot of times we think that, oh, B2B, B2C, but at the end of the day, life is human to human. Nobody is doing business with a robot. If you think about it, it's a business that somebody builds. Most of the businesses that are strong are the businesses that have an element of human connection, even if they're machines. So being able to build that kind of human to human connection requires you thinking like a human. Even machines are programmed to behave like humans. If you do this, then this, right? What are what are your uniqueness? What are your personality traits? And if you don't know, you could go to a website called 16personalities.com answer those questions as honestly as possible if you're a business answer them like your business was a human being answering those questions and then on earth what you know comes out of that dig deeper also reach out to like five of your closest friends and write ask them to give you five adjectives to describe yourself and then you also write five adjectives to describe you try to find what is consistent between what you said and what they said and also what's consistent between what they said that you didn't see. Because sometimes, again, we have blind spots. The things that we're trying to say is not necessarily what we're, we're projecting. The process of branding is going from your intended brand to your perceived brand. And what does this mean? It means I want to be seen a certain way. Um, and this is my intention. However, it doesn't mean that people are perceiving me that way. So how can I further ensure that these people perceive me the way that I intend to be perceived? Try to make it authentic. Don't build something that is a lie or a false creation of yourself. Instead of faking it till you make it, grow into it, determine these are the things that I want to change. These are the things that I do not like about my current self right now that I want to sort of, you know, evolve into. And so let that evolution be a journey. But branding is that process where you are journeying to this place that you want to get to. And as you even get there, you would realize that you want more. There's something else that you want. And you would keep reiterating and reinventing yourself. Who you were 10 years ago is not who you are now. So starting from that point of self-awareness is important. Doing Checking what is on ground, Googling yourself and saying, do I like what I'm seeing online? Do I like my digital footprint? Do I like my offline footprint? What do I want to change? That's where it really starts in your mind and in reality. Um, last thing I would say is when you think about your brand, think about three critical things. Um, first, identity, communication, and then credibility. Your identity is what makes you recognizable to your audience. And so if, if you don't have any recognizable features, if you're not intentional about how you want to be recognized, not just, um, outwardly, but also inwardly as well, things that are unique identifiers for you, your voice, your tone, your, how you appear, what colors, like if you say you're an introvert and you don't want to be, you know, in too many places, you don't want to be perceived as an extrovert, what are key things you're going to do? What are key defining factors that matter to you? What is your mission? What is it that is important to you? And then take that into even your colors, right? You wouldn't be like, I'm an introvert, but I'm going to, and, and I want to, co I want to communicate a certain tone of calmness. And then you use red as your, as your color. It's going to be weird. So understanding the color psychology, the font psychology based on the personality and tone you're trying to communicate is really, really important. Then taking that, your personal mission, your strengths, what you're good at, what you know, all of these things, packaging them and saying, this is how I want to serve the world and make money from it. Taking that and then communicating it to the outside people, to yourself and to your team members. That's where communication comes in. Then moving to credibility. Credibility is more like, you know, the kind of people you partner with, reinforcing, reinforcing trust. Because again, branding is about trust. All you're doing is to just build trust with your Audience. So if you don't even know your audience, that's another problem because who are you really talking to, right? So knowing who you're talking to, knowing that you're not for everyone and you're for someone, um, 
that's really a mind shift that is necessary. Um, also moving from that and knowing that you don't partner with people just based on their numbers, but also based on vision or mission alignment. One of my favorite examples is like, you can't be a vegan and be having a partnership with KFC. Like what exactly is going on there? It's going to be weird. You can't be a climate change enthusiast and be having a partnership with like an oil bunkery organization or something like that. Like, it doesn't make sense. So you need to be able to know how to choose the kind of partners that reinforce your values your mission your goals and and maybe you have shared audience with them or maybe you're trying to explore a new audience but because of that alignment that's why you're doing what you're doing you also need to be able to make a promise and keep it because that's how you build trust you need to be able to um, share your work share the testimonials of your work share the transformational impact of your work and things like that those things are life-changing and very important yeah. In summary. In yeah. summary. So that is a full course on branding given to us. If you want more, definitely take lessons course. <laughs> oh, by the way, I think I, I actually have a free ebook and I don't know if that's something we can pin to to you know the description, but I would be happy to share that link to the free ebook so people can just sort of explore this topic a bit deeper. I call it the nine P's of branding. And I, I everyone who has read the book has only giving me positive feedback so fingers crossed that you'd also have a positive experience <laughs> a quick but like very comprehensive overview of what brandon is so everybody listening to the podcast now can have an idea and i like how you sort of pinned it to that personal narrative about how you should be authentic to yourself how you should you know just talking about some of the things that people might know like identity but what that really means behind the just the words and the colors and how you just it's all about, I guess, in my words, identifying yourself to the world as uniquely and as authentic as you can. But those are the elements that come with it, the communication, all of that, where it's just helping you put yourself out there in a way that consistently um, communicates who that person that you are as an individual is to people. And I think that is something that everybody should do. Like, you know, you talking brings me to you you made a point about how, for example, if you wanted to change your perception about yourself that people have, then it is not for you to just say, okay, I want to have this brand, but be also conscious that you want to be the person actually that you now want to change from. So something that wasn't very conscious to me, but now is through the very short presentation you gave on branding is that becoming aware of branding actually helps you reflect on who you are as a person and if you didn't like something about yourself it encourages you to change from that and build a brand that is more toward the new person that you want to become which is very you know which is something that i guess most people don't talk about now like it has a kind of a transformative element to it so that's very great glad to hear that that made me so happy Okay, so now let's talk about Ingressive for Good and what you, you, you are doing. That you, you join as a director of communications and like with all the other things, you quickly rose um, and you became a co-founder. What does Ingressive for Good does and why has it been so successful in raising so much money and what is the impact that it's making across technology in Africa? Wow, that's a very big question, but I would try to answer it as simply as I can. As you can tell, I'm very excited whenever I talk about Ingressive for Good because our sole mission is to increase the earning power of African youths by empowering them with tech skills and resources and community that they need for growth, right? And how this all came about was, you know, we explored someone who graduated from school, two people who graduated from school, one person doing, you know, a banking job entry level and somebody doing a tech job entry level, chances are the person doing the tech job will get two times to five times more pay than the person who is doing the banking job. Um, we also explored what would be the barrier to entry, you know, what does it take to really learn a tech skill? And for many tech skills, especially the ones that we're focusing on, you need just three to six months to learn the basics and then you spend your life perfecting it. Um, and the basics sometimes is all people need. Just seeing the way that we've been able to, initially I used to struggle, you know, I used to say, why exactly are we why exactly are we, you know, trying to, why exactly are we 
trying to impact so many people, you know, we could have different connections with each one. But then when I see the kind of success stories that we get where there's a woman who was making soap to make ends meet, was earning only 20,000 naira a month, and, and that's all she had. And then six months down the line, she has learned a dev development, um, sorry, software dev skill and We've given her a laptop. Next thing we know, she's in a job where she's earning 200K, which is 10 times what she's earned before. Or someone who was a farmer and then suddenly, you know, learns a skill in design and now she can fend for herself because she's earning enough money from the jobs and the projects that she's been able to do um, to make ends meet for her family. All of those kind of stories just sort of transform like it changed my thinking made me realize that sometimes some people just need one encounter and they take that little seed and turn it into something really huge it feels like ingressive for good is that mustard seed for a lot of people they just need that sowed into them and their lives change um one of our one of our beneficiaries actually two of our beneficiaries were community leads came together co-founded a business that was solving a social problem and now they're in YC valued at $30 million. So the the success stories are there. The work is speaking for itself consistently. So I guess when people see that, they're more than happy to reach out and say, this is something we love. This is something we want to support. So anybody who's listening to this podcast right now is feeling inspired, wants to do a bit more, you know, digging deep, just search aggressive for good on, on any platform and, you will find the stories, you know, you'll find the success stories. Um, almost like it's so beautiful to see how many entry level tech people have encountered ingressive for good in one way or the other. And, and that's inspiring for us. So Google, sorry. Yeah. Google of Alphabet, um, supported us with. 250k usd to be able to drive the vision. We've had so many strong partnerships with like Facebook. Um, yeah. Coursera, DataCamp, interesting people, global partnership, masterclass. And it's just inspiring all around, to be honest. That's really the work. Now our community has grown from zero. And in just two years, we have a community of over 200,000 people. We've trained over 100,000 people. Um, we're consistently also realizing that women make up the bulk of our community. We have 56% women in our community and, and women have been just fantastic. Um, so yeah, that's, that's in, in a nutshell, just such inspiring work. And I know I sound really, really excited, but it's a topic I really love to talk about and I could go on and on and on and on. So what is the next transition for Ingressive? Um, especially for me, I mean, knowing that you've led this organization to now bigger heights and you are as a woman putting your work out there, what is the plans that Ingressive has specifically for women, um, technologists, founders, people who are aspiring to great, great things, who probably will also get opportunity to go to YC, like some of the success stories. Okay. Um, I think that's the next thing for us really is just ensuring that more and more people get placed. One of the gaps that we're finding is because of how fast-paced the tech space is, most people are looking for senior talents, but they're not necessarily recognizing the power of junior talents, right? And so you just see all this like big roles that people are trying to fill, but not enough internship roles or um, entry level opportunities. And you would never really have the next generation of senior level talent if nobody's giving the junior level talents of today opportunities to be able to express that talent and build and grow or even learn under current senior leadership. So one of the things we're really trying to do is build a culture where entry level talents are seen as valuable and they're given the opportunities that they need to become the next level talents of the next decade. Um, and so that's something that we've been prioritizing a lot. That's something we've been going into a lot of partnerships for just to figure out how can we create more opportunities for entry level talents. So that's something that's, is, in fact, that's priority. That's, that's the most important thing on our, on our checkbox. But yeah, besides that, you know, um, I, I think that the community is in a place where it's building itself and it's fueling itself, where community members who have gone on to be successful are now coming back and putting donations back into the company and saying, oh my God, you touched my life in this way. I want to donate back to this organization that formed me or shaped me. I want to hire from your talent pool. I want to do X, Y, Z so I can pay this forward. And that's really, really strong. 
But I think that we would even be able to do way more if more people are donating and supporting us. So anybody who wants to support, please support. We're here. You know, in one of the articles that you were featured on, you spoke about the fact that um, you are creative, but you're able to combine the logic side of things. How does that work in practice for you as being a very creative individual who also likes to, you know, think deeply about things and plan and have structure? What has that balance looked like in the practice of your um, numerous endeavors? Um, <laughs> I don't know how to directly answer this question because it sort of happens very organically for me. Like it happens like breathing for me. You know how you're breathing like automatically, right? And you just pause for a second to think about, wait, how am I breathing? And then it just becomes laborious. That's the same story for my logic and magic side. Um, I don't start out saying, oh, I want to do something creative or, oh, I want to do something strategic. For me, the two worlds exist together. Everything you must be doing must have a result, must have goals, must have something that you're trying to achieve, right? And then when they don't, you know that you're just experimenting. You know that I don't know what the end goal of this thing is, but I'm just trying to see where it goes. So knowing that these two things can exist very differently, but then can also be combined is such a powerful skill. Um, I guess I've always cared about if whenever I work for any organization, one of the first steps or things that I do is ask, what is the company's goal? What are we trying to achieve as a company? And then I go back and reflect on what is my role in helping the company achieve these goals? And so making my mindset work like that has been very pivotal for me. And I guess that's what gives me the strength that I have where I don't see things from just a very black and white point of view, but I also don't see it from a very colored point of view, knowing that there's a gray in between, but then you could also splash some pastels. That's how I see life. And that has been very instrumental. It's so sad that I can give like a formula that this is exactly how it works. But anybody who works with me knows how it works because I express it. But maybe that's my next assignment. I'm going to spend time over the next couple of months just really paying more attention to my process. But one thing I also do is document. So maybe I could reflect on things that I've documented in the past and pay attention to the trends that I've noticed. Okay. If you do that, we'll be happy to know. Um, you are a winner. So you have progressed so fast in so many things. What is the ultimate winner's mindset, at least for you? The ultimate winner's mindset is heavily tied to the failure mindset. How you perceive failure would ultimately affect how you perceive winning. Um, for me, based on just this experiment point of view, I don't see failure the way I used to see failure many years ago. Before, failure used to be like something that would drain my energy and make me feel so sad, lost, depressed, everything. Like, you know, you just be like in this state of, oh, I have, I have failed, you know, and, the ground should open up and swallow me. But being able to embrace this experimental point of view where I say the goal is not to be right, but to discover, it makes failure sound like another discovery. So it's like I experimented with this. Nobody in this world, to be honest, knows anything for sure. It's like we're all just trying things out and hoping that they would work out. We really don't know anything for sure because it's not really even just your choices that are making decisions for you there's so many other choices that are outside of your control there are things within your control but there's so many things outside of your control that sometimes have nothing to do with you the best you can do is what you're doing or what you can do so do the one that you can do and then when you put that out into the world you know you've done your part right how it comes back to you it's not entirely your fault, but then you could take your lessons from it. It's like, could there have been a better way that I could have shown up for this? Is there anything else that I can do to make the odds come to my favor? Is there something that I could learn from this? Is there something else that, I, you know, like just exploring the failures. Every single failure led me here. Every single failure either made me decide, you know, more resolve for something, quit something else, you know, pour more, try a different strategic approach. It just, prepared me to win again. So approaching my life from the point of view that failure is not there to break me and, and maybe think about it like a game. You know how you have to keep repeating a level until you pass it so you can get to the next level when you're playing games. I think that that's really how life is. You just 
have to keep trying until you pass it. You don't have control over the obstacles that are coming. You only have control over you, the player, right? So you only have to learn newer ways to tackle that obstacle, but you will not learn it if you don't feel it. And that's how I see it, experimenting consistently. Um, and, and I guess that's the ultimate winner's mindset thing that I have going for me, for myself. And I hope that more people can embrace it as well. I like how when being asked about um, winning and success, you tie it directly to failure because that's not how a lot of people would approach it. But I really, really agree with you that you need to face um, the obstacle. You need to face whatever is in front of you and you need to try to beat it down before you get to the next stage of life. And your inability to do that is what stymies your journey. But it means also that consistently trying means you are growing and you are failing but the failure is building more muscle for the next stage and I, and I really really agree with that sentiment um what would be your message for young women who are aspiring to um I, I i have tried to move away from saying aspiring to be like other people like you but who are aspiring to you know also go on to your own journeys but you know are facing the obstacle of having to for example um switch careers or start a company when they are so young, or move even to aspiring to greater heights, but are not so confident about themselves. And I am asking that for young women specifically because you're a young woman who's thriving so well in your field. Wow, I have so much advice for them. And please, one of my, my biggest advice first would be, please don't take every advice that everyone gives you. When you're taking an advice, try to filter all of the advice that you're getting and say, Am I the target audience for this advice? Is this advice based on my context? How can I tweak it to match my context? And how can I implement it in a way that it works for me, right? So don't just take everything just at face value. Some will apply, some will not. Um, speaking of things that would apply, my very first thing would be to shift, to build confidence in itself. You need to shift focus from yourself. Because when you focus too much on yourself, you, you begin to pay attention and zoom in to your failures. Like nobody knows you like you know yourself. And so you begin to zoom into your failures, zoom into things that you're not good at, and you end up underestimating what it is that you're good at and overestimating what other people are good at. So shift your focus from yourself for a quick minute and try to focus on the people that you want to serve. Think about all this talent, all the things, what are things that people ask me to help them with? What are things that I think I'm good at that would be of value to the world? Um, one of my favorite examples is if you're holding biscuits in your hand and there's an there's like a hungry child that is standing beside you, hungry, visibly hungry with like veins and everything popping up with their bones and stuff, hungry, but you have biscuits in your hand. Are you going to say, I'm not going to give you this biscuits because I want to go home and make rice and chicken before I come back and give this biscuits? I really hope that that's not what you do. I think that it would be helpful to give that person temporary relief now while you make plans to, you know, go and make rice and chicken as well or call for backup. Um, that's also how I see using your gifts. If you have something now that you're good at, start using it. Give it to the people who need it. The people who need it exactly how it is like that. Serve them. And as you serve them, don't just stop there. Still give yourself room to improve. And the more you serve them, the more you improve. There's so much that I'm doing now that I am only doing because I did other things before. And those things, when I was doing them, I didn't know that I would be doing what I'm doing now. And I know this sounds like a puzzle, but every single thing you do leads you to the next step. Embrace the spirit of doing, not just thinking, dreaming, wishing, hoping. Um, do. Show up. The thing that you have, use it and show up. Share your work. The one that you've been able to do, share it. Do. 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 The more you do, the better you get. Practice doesn't make perfect. It makes progress. And progress is really what a lot of us need right now to be able to get us to the next phases of our lives. You'll be able to encounter new people. People will be able to speak for you. iPhone 1 needed to exist for iPhone 13 to exist. If you don't use what you have now, you're not going to get better at it and it's not going to be phenomenal in the future. So use what you have now to get you to the next phase of your life. Um, second thing would be Build community. Build community with people who are better than you, people who are like you, and people who are not even as good as you. Um, the ones that you learn, 
teach it to the people who are not as good as you. The ones that you don't know, learn it from the people who are better than you. And then the things that you, you're happy to share, share with the people that are as good as you. So you can trade ideas and find any community you find yourself. At least identify one person you want to connect with. Cause in 20 years time, you don't know what they're going to be, but that shouldn't even just be your reason. Being able to have an ally who is working with you to get to the next level, who is also hustling like you're hustling. Maybe hustling is not the best word, but who is grinding and you're also grinding. It inspires you. You could both be, you know, the shoulders that you lean on each other for. So knowing those things really help as you build to your next level. The internet has helped a lot. So you have an advantage don't let anything be an excuse. If you, one of my newest mantras now is if I find myself complaining about something or dissatisfied with something, I would ask myself, do I have the capacity to change it? If I do have the capacity to change it, I will change it. If I don't have the capacity to change it, I will shift my focus to something that I can change. So if you don't like where you are now, or if there's something that you aspire to be, or if there's a place that you are aspiring to, if there's something you can do about it, do it. If there's nothing you can do about it, shift your focus to something that you can do something about. And I think that those are going to be like helpful ways to, to build yourself as, as you, as you try to be whatever it is that you want to be. Don't let anybody tell you that you, you are limited. You are not. You are limitless. You can be anything. You can build the life that you want and the life that you want is possible. Okay. That will be the end of our conversation with the, brilliant and wise blessing I've been as you can see from her submissions over the conversation. Is there any other thing that you want to add blessing before we hop off the podcast? Um, I think I just want to share like a very interesting story and, and I think it came to me while I was watching an anime. Um, the anime, <laughs> I don't know how many people watch animes here, but while I was watching the anime, um, it was about humans fighting gods and all of the best humans were feeling until a certain guy who has been known throughout history as the biggest failure because he keeps fighting people knowing that he would fail however the more he fights people the better he gets he learns their techniques he learns new ways to defeat them but he's happy with failing because somehow it was helping him build strength and resilience he was the only person who was able to eventually defeat a god after like four or five people had fought before him. This story made me so emotional. And I said, you know, initially I was like, this is just a story. Maybe, maybe it doesn't really exist. Maybe it doesn't really apply. But then in the last couple of weeks, I have been, I've been playing FIFA. I used to know how to play before, then I stopped. And because I didn't practice for a while, I forgot how to. But I started again, and I this time I've been using Xbox to play. And my husband has constantly been beating me in FIFA, like, consistently. Like, I've... It's not... Like, it's big. It's a big deal. It's like... But we used to have a specific gap, right? So he, he would probably not score me more than five goals, and I would probably score, like, two, right? Two at the minimum. But there were t- there was one particular day he scored seven. I was so sad. I was like, how did you score seven-one? Like, what was I doing? Why? And I started re-strategizing. Like, what am I going to do better? How am I going to do this? Do I learn how to pass better? Do I learn how to, you know shoot better by consistently failing i was learning the things that i was weak at i was also learning the things i could get better at and i was get, learning the things i was great at fast forward to me playing with a couple of friends after and beating those friends like it's nothing and those people are not bad like i'm beating them and i didn't realize that i was getting that good like i was developing another strength within me that was making me better now fast forward to even yesterday i I'm now winning games with my husband. Like we're either drawing or winning, or if he wins, he wins by like just one goal ahead of me. And he's even admitting that I am now difficult. I'm more difficult to beat. We had a friend over. The friend struggled to win me. My point is, I'm still failing at FIFA, but I can recognize my success. So keep a win journal. Document your wins. No matter how little they are, you will often forget human beings we forget we tend to focus on the things that are negative when you forget go back to your wind journals and remind yourself how amazing you are remind yourself the amazing things that you've accomplished and you realize that you would only get better 
only only get better the fact that you're bad at one thing doesn't mean that you are stupid or bad or a failure i see i'm smart i've spoken to you now you definitely know i'm smart but there's a period in my life that i didn't know how to bake bread does that mean that i am stupid no i've met an inventor sorry i watched an inventor on tv who didn't know how to operate a microwave does that mean he's stupid no it's just that there's some things that we're good at and there's some things that we're not that good at and we can learn them and for us to learn them we would feel a little bit more so embrace failure embrace experiments but I also embrace the life of possibility. The life that you want again is possible. That's it. The life you want again is possible. Thank you very much, Blessing, for those inspiring words and for coming to the Change Africa podcast and talking about how you've been, you know, transforming young people's lives, building brands and, you know, inspiring young people and women. It's been an amazing opportunity to have the space um, with you and to share your journey, your knowledge and your wisdom with all of us. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much.